0: This is the Creative Endeavor Podcast, bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. It's real conversations with real artists. And I'm Andrew Tischler, and what a pleasure it is to have your company here once again. Welcome to the studio. In this episode, I'm talking to Michelle Dunaway, someone that I've been following for some years and I've been really inspired by. Her work is so fresh and vibrant. Her brushwork is exquisite. She creates portraits and figurative works, as well as some landscape and plein air that is just bursting with color and real heartfelt emotion. I think when an artist is all in, really dialed into their craft and feels something and connects with their subject, it comes through and it moves the viewer. I wanted to ask Michelle all about her work and how she does that. What are some of the things that she's thinking about when she paints, but also to hear a little bit about the business side of art as well and how her creative journey started. And we even got into some of the things that she's looking forward to anticipating today and some of the challenges that might be coming up for artists working in 2023 and beyond. This was fantastic to have an opportunity to connect with Michelle, to get to know her a little better. Man, I'm even more inspired now after this conversation. Now, right now, follow her on Instagram. She can be found at Dunaway Fine Art and on her website at www.dunawayfineart.com. Go follow her amazing work there. And I know you're going to be just as blown away as I am. Now I've also included in the show notes some links to some really cool stuff that Michelle has on the horizon, like some really incredible looking art tours in Africa of all places. How awesome would it be to be out there in the African wilderness, observing magnificent creatures and then painting them alongside someone like Michelle. That sounds pretty cool. So I'll include some links there so you can check that out. Now I'm gonna get out of the way Let Michelle take over. Without further ado, here she is, Michelle Dunaway in the creative endeavor. Michelle Dunaway, what a pleasure to welcome you to the Creative Endeavor podcast. How are you?
1: Oh, wonderful to be here. Very excited to have a conversation with you.
0: Excellent. Well, look, let's kick things off. I I'm I'm dying to hear more about your story, how your art journey began. Where did this all start for you?
1: Um, gosh, I I can't remember a time that I wasn't fascinated with just life, people's faces, scenery from a young age. Um, so about two or three, I mean, from my my first memory is seen an art book, and I was drawing before I could talk. So it was just kind of, I don't know if it's something that came with me into this world or just something that just arrested me, the beauty of nature. Um, I grew up in Alaska, so it's just you know i know you're in new zealand you know just epic landscapes beautiful scenery um and i was just always fascinated by people my mom said when uh when i was a little baby in the playpen when people would come over to visit i would just unnerve them because i would stare at them stare at their faces stare at their hand movements and as soon as i could hold a pencil i was drawing eyes and hands
0: wow wow that's i i think kids have it don't they children are born with something it's one of my favorite Picasso quotes. I'm going to butcher it, but um, Picasso said that every child is an artist. The trouble is remaining an artist as one grows up. Something like that. I'll, I'll If I can find yeah. it, I'll put it on the screen. But it's so true, right? Kids are just naturally I, inquisitive and creative.
1: Exactly. I totally agree with it because I think one of the fundamental like aspects of being an artist is being creatively curious. Mm-hmm. And I think all children are very creatively curious at about everything. And I don't know when that gets kind of pulled out of us. For some, it never does. Um, I, you know, I teach a lot as I know you do as well. And so I'll have students in my class that have, you know, been away from their art for 20 or 30 years and then they come back and it's really about igniting that curiosity, that wonderment um, from childhood and then implementing it with all the skills and adult knowledge you have or have gleaned as a painter to create your vision. Um, But, but that is such an essential element. So I think everyone is creative in some, some way, whether they're an artist or not. And um, it's part of our goal to like, you know, find an outlet for that and share that with the world because it just kind of is a ripple effect.
0: Do you ever get that from some people when you're like talking to them about art? Random question, I know, it just popped into my head. But that's okay, a little random somebody, questions. If <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to somebody, and it'd be like they'll say, "I um, oh, 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 I I know nothing about art. I know nothing about that 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 statement from people. Just um, you know, it, it it kind of bugs me because I think I think that everybody's got it. It's just I just for one way or another, we we've learned not to. I don't know, that creativity just seems to be leached away from us the older we get. And, and there's a fortunate few of us that manage to hold on to it until later years. Do you, do yeah. you know, does that make sense? I probably worded that. Oh, worded no, completely.
1: Early, but... Because I think sometimes when people say that, there's a couple things going on is one, maybe they're not in touch with themselves, their own inclinations, their own sensitivities as a human being. Because again, I think we're all creative, we're all artistic in some way. It may be painting, it may be parenting, it may be gardening, it could be photography, music, you know, anything. Um, But the urge to create is um, something that's just inborn in us as human beings. And um, I've always believed that that's what it means to be made in the image of God. I'm a Christian. And so to me, that doesn't mean a physical appearance. It means God is a creator and we are creators. Yeah, and um, that. so I think sometimes people lose touch with themselves, you know, and it's the old adage, know thyself. Also, I think sometimes when people see like professional art, however you define that, they might get caught up in the intellectualism of that thinking like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know the parameters where all the professional artists I know that I respect and admire, they're just immersed in that same wonder they had as a child. And then they're creating with their adult skills and um so it's just one of my favorite quotes i love quotes writing down all the time have like a book of different people's quotes um but one of my favorite is um by baudelaire genius is childhood recovered at will
0: wow repeat that for me i love that
1: (laughs) that's my my favorite genius is childhood recovered at will and that, that that hangs in my studio and has for over a decade because you know, back when I was um, merging into hopefully being a professional artist and working part time, and I was I was actually a preschool teacher during the day, and then would paint at night and teach painting at night at a local art school. Um, what fascinated me being a preschool teacher was seeing, and I worked from ages two to like seven years old at this private elementary school, and um, every time the kids came out on the playground, they might have been there a million times before, um, it, everything was new everything was new each day. And I felt at like 22, 23, when I was doing that, it really taught me so much about art life philosophy um, that that's how we need to approach life Mm -hmm. and just see everything is new. We've never experienced this moment. We've never experienced this sunset. You know, this is our first conversation, but even if we'd had hundreds of conversations, this would be unique in and of itself. And so when we see life that way, I think a natural outpouring is artistic expression you know how can it not be
0: wow yeah that's so awesome yeah that 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 really um I'm moved by that quote. I must say, I'm going to write that down. Maybe that's a keeper. It's something I'll hang in my studio too, because that's just incredible. Um, you mentioned a couple of things there, and I'd really love to dive deeper into the professional journey. So this yeah. started out, so you went down a road of, of teaching, education, preschool teaching. <clears throat> so how did that? how did that professional journey emerge and unfold for you take us back to the beginning of that and those those little wins that you got to to end up where you are today
1: okay um yeah and i i wasn't like a professional teacher i did not have a degree in education i was basically the person you know i was 22 i was basically the person that uh gave the teachers breaks so i took the kids to give them a break. Um, But it was it was a wonderful time. Um, I had went to art school uh, pretty young to Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California at right out of high school as one of the youngest people there. Um, I really wanted to go into illustration. And at that time, you know, I thought I want to illustrate books I want to do. That was what I associated with art. I wasn't aware at 17, 18 years old that there was a whole fine art realm of doing fine art paintings. Um, so I went to school for illustration, went for a couple of years through that, um, came back home on a break just to save some money. Um, I was maybe about 20 years old and then was doing some sculpture. I got into doing some sculpture in New Mexico and got a sculpture commission on the East coast and, um, you know, I I submitted a bid for this sculpture commission. It was like a small statue and then went and got a book on the library, how to do sculptures, because like, I didn't know all the technical stuff. I was just, I had the vision. I I sculpted a lot and, you know, for about a year from life, from live models. And then I was out in New York on the East coast. And I lived out there for about seven or eight months as I did this um, sculpture for company. And I went to the Metropolitan Museum for the first time. And when I walked in the American wing, I was just blown away. It was a life changing moment. I felt like I was home. Like, you know, that feeling when you leave home for the first time to go away to college and then you come back for the first visit and you're in your mother's kitchen or something and she's cooking and you're like, oh, I'm home. You know, Hmm. I had that feeling, but it was with all of these paintings and painters that were new to me, you know, Sergeant, Cecilia Bowe, all of it. I was just seeing brushwork for the first time, seeing fine art painting. I mean, I had been exposed to other painting when I was younger, like Monet. And, you know, I know that's a first love for many artists and the color and the light. Um, but seeing, you know, these representational paintings, I just knew right then that that was what I was going to spend my life doing. I just didn't know it was an option to paint like that. Um and yeah, so I mean, when I was a preschool teacher, it was back when I was um had taken a break from art school and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. The illustration world had changed. It was going to computer technology. All of a sudden, what I had aspired to do wasn't really like an option to do, like hand-drawn stuff. And he was like, Well, what do I want to do? And I, and I remember I started drawing the children at recess I just started sketching them and then parents started commissioning drawings and then and then I went to New York and saw the paintings and then I realized like oh you can do this and I met other artists that were pivotal in my career uh Morgan Weisling uh I met Jeremy Lipkin when he did you know it was like I think before his first show his very first workshop um and another artist my age that was doing around my age that was doing um representational work and it's like, oh, this is this is a career you can do. Wow. And it's yeah. what I had done from before I could remember. I just would doodle people's faces and hands, and that I could do that for a living just the idea just blew my mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. I mean, when when you actually think about it, I get to paint pictures. When is this gonna end? Wake me up.
1: <laughs> I know, and to me, it's just such a natural expression of paying attention to life and being yeah so enamored and enchanted with what you see before your eyes. Mm. I mean, like I mentioned before, people always fascinated me, especially like their little mannerisms, the way they move their hands, the way if they're telling a story, um, a myriad of emotions passes over their eyes without them even realizing it. And those moments to me are so beautiful moments of vulnerability, strength. um, Just all those subtle human emotions have always captivated me from from the time I was a child, you know, I was just mm. always very intuitive with, you know, talking to people. I love hearing about people's stories and implementing that into my paintings. So I'm just so thankful that I can do that for a living.
0: That's awesome. There's so much there I want to go into, um, but let, let me just ask you on that. You yeah. remind me kind of a little bit of my process, especially when I'm when I'm painting a portrait and I'm gathering photo reference, you know, you talk about like a like a little look or a little moment, or you know, the, where the stories reveal the characters there. I go through my file, some of my references. Like there are hundreds of photos from just one shoot, one person, you know, one lighting setup, and I just be going through, and then bang, that's it. That's the moment where they were on, and they the character is fully there, and the story is revealed. I don't know. Do you do you find something similar?
1: Oh, oh, definitely, and. Yeah. I'll do that with my photo reference if I do a photo session. But anytime I'm in a conversation, I mean, I can't think of a time I didn't experience this where it's like, anytime I'm having a conversation with someone, I see a moment that I see that's a painting. And it's usually a moment of reflection, vulnerability, because I think vulnerability is beautiful. It's something we usually try to hide. And it's, to me, the most beautiful moments when someone allows you to see that. It's kind of sacred. Um, and moments of, you know, overcoming obstacles, strength, resolve, you know, those little subtle things that make us like quintessentially human, right. And unite us as people. I always notice that in a, in a conversation, I'm like, oh, there's the painting. And then I might at a later time ask them, can I paint you and try to reconstruct that moment? try to, to bring them into that moment again, so that I can capture it in paint or in a photograph. And I think too, when you do, you know, because I, I work, I'm a real advocate for painting from life, but I also love to paint from photographs as well, because there are things that I want to paint that I can't paint from life. And, um, you know, people in transitory moments and stuff. Um, but I'll have that same thing where I'll, you know, you shoot hundreds, you know, if not thousands of pictures, and all of a sudden, you're like, there's that moment there's that thing that I saw from life that captured something you know it's almost I think too like a metaphor to a landscape is could be you could be looking at a landscape and then a little bit of light kind of cascades across the surface of the form and it just like catches your breath and that's the thing and they're fleeting moments but that's what makes them so beautifully exquisite and rare and
0: you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're speaking my, my language, Michelle. This is, this is awesome. Um, you know, I know we'll you mentioned... have to talk
1: shop too, because I'm a total art geek. I love technique.
0: And... We're going to, we're going to <laughs> tr- trust me. I, I, we go every which way in the podcast, but um, let me, let me ask you this. Um, Cause you mentioned something there about, you know, the, the, those subtle little uh, emotions, like it's, it's the most subtle of subtle, it, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you feel it. You can hardly put it into words, you know, these, these moments of reflection, that vulnerability, as you mentioned. And to me, that just highlights the importance, again, for that human touch. And we're living in a day and age now where we've got artificial intelligence creating pictures and there's a lot yeah. of artists losing their hats over this. And and you know, to be honest, losing their jobs too, because there are mm-hmm. some companies that are are going, well, why would I get somebody to design this logo or design this graphic or do this yeah. for me when I can just delegate that to a machine and chat GPT and Mid Journey will do it instantly? But you highlighted something there where I'm like, you know what? There's still a need for artists here, and maybe I'm just going no and shaking my fist angrily oh, at the, at the technology. It. But but I, I really feel that that's that's absolutely needed, especially now more than ever.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I think technology is a great tool, right? I know some artists don't paint from photographs. I think you know photography, Photoshop, all of that. I mean, if Da Vinci and Michelangelo were alive, they would be experts on all this stuff. I think you know, but utilize it not as a replacement for their artistic vision or sensitivities, but use it as a tool. You know, as soon as it goes from being a tool to relying on it, that's when you cheat yourself as an artist and, you know, you don't, you're not allowing your own innate genius to come out. And I believe everyone has that. Um, So I think like with artificial intelligence, I mean, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Some of the images that they can come up with, you know, and, but I see it like, a tool is neutral, right? It's like a television or Instagram or anything like that, you know, or social media, you can use it for good. You can use it negatively. And, um, and we, I think we can challenge ourselves to be very conscientious and intentional with how we choose to use that. You know, I always believe even with any negative situation, something positive can always come, come from it. And, uh, goes back a little bit to my faith and, you know, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So I feel like we can work things together for good if we have that intention. So, I mean, a good example is right. We just, you know, went through COVID still going through it a little bit, um, horrible thing, wish it hadn't happened. You know, it's horrible that people got sick, but one of the good things I see out of it is things like this, mm-hmm. having the zoom prod- broadcast, zoom education, um, I initially did it kind of, you know, like reluctantly because I was forced to when certain conferences went um, digitally. And I'm just not a computer techie person. (laughs) I'm more old school. And, um, but as I started teaching online, I know you do too. I started getting feedback from students that were overseas that said, I'm so glad you're doing this because I could never do it because I take care of a handicapped child, I take care of my elderly parents, Um, I'm in a wheelchair. I can only use my arms. I can't travel. And so I'm like, that's something beautiful that I will always continue to do that was birthed out of something negative. So going back to the AI and sorry, I'm like going long, long answer to no, your no, question. No. I, I love the I long answers. The intense, controversial <laughs> subject. But I think, you know, there's not much we can do to stop it. But what we can do is use it to challenge ourselves to be even more intentional with our art right? I love that. What can we do that AI can't do? It can't have the human sensitivity. It might be able to generate a face with a great backdrop and great costume, but can it get the emotion in the eyes? Can it get that something ephemeral, that's something we can't quite put our finger on, that is the personal artist touch mm-hmm. that goes into the painting. And I think that comes not just, it's, you know, it's not in brushes or a paint tube. It comes from observe, observation and appreciation. You know, going back to what you were saying about, you know, noticing those little moments in someone's eyes, you know, and the reason we notice those and we have these little moments that we connect and we go, oh, that's it. It's resonating with something that's within us, that connects us across our uniqueness into our commonality as human beings, right? Because we're all unique. We all have different life stories. We all look different. Even identical twins kind of look a little different. But we all have different sensitivities different backgrounds different life stories but that kind of undercurrent of what makes us human of wanting to you know love and be loved do something meaningful you know have joyful moments overcoming adversity um you know solidifying our inner strength all of those quests as human beings Are the same within us whether someone lived a thousand years ago or lived today or lived live in a different continent or you know it's that's what unites us and so we connect to that i think when we're with someone that's what one of the main reasons i love to paint portrait that is something ai can never do and so i think it might challenge i think it's actually it seems like a hindrance right now in a way i think it's going to birth a whole new level of really competent art from artists because artists are going to go wait I need to step it up I need to be more intentional I need to really be more thoughtful about what I'm creating to put something that's really valid and meaningful in the world and it's going to make us even up our technique so we can use that as a stepping stone now to to do that
0: it's a call to action isn't it it's a cold connection. I've never heard it framed that way before. And I love that. I, and I wasn't expecting you to quite go there. I was thinking, oh, we're, I, but I love that. I love that angle <laughs> that, that you've taken there. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 well, so, and I actually
1: haven't yeah. spent a lot of time thinking about it or even talking about it. It was just when you posed the question, mm-hmm. I always think, you know, it. whenever you're met with a challenge in life, I mean, how can the human spirit rise above that and turn it into something beautiful? something useful, something that, um, creates goodness, you know, and if you kind of look at any of your problems like that, then it just, it builds you up. It's like strength training your muscles, right? Mm -hmm. It hurts, but it gets you somewhere. And it's the same kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. And I think the more this comes on, on board and the the more it develops and, and people start adopting it, I think it's going to make our role you know as you say i think it's going to make it even clearer and and yeah. more important so um yeah I, at first i must admit i was looking at it going what's going on and i was really curious and and i've mm-hmm. i've been so curious for for a while to to dabble with it and play with it a little bit not for my art but just go okay what what you got what you got and, and i'm yeah. also thinking about making a video here with this where you know it's Tish versus AI. And now, look, I'm I, i I'm not, I would just say, I'm not looking forward to the comment section on that video.
1: When, when I, well, <laughs> it's I like, you know, it. it's really hard to be the computer playing chess, right? Yeah. But yeah. there are things that like, if you're playing a person, you play, I don't know if you play chess, but I mean, I've dabbled in it. I'm yeah. not a, you know, it, but if, Yeah. Same here a little bit. Um, It's fun, but it's like, it's not really about this piece and that piece and knowing all these strategies It's playing the person or just like poker or something you're tuning into what's going on. And, and, you know, and I think, again, that's just something that AI can't do. And yeah. And I think as artists too, it's like, we always need to be pushing ourselves to grow, you know, another favorite quote by Michelangelo. And I think he was 78 or maybe 87 i can't remember one of the two where he said i'm still learning so after he did the david after he painted wow. the sistine chapel i am still learning and that's kind of like my philosophy i want to keep growing i want to keep learning and anything that pops in and says i can do what you can do it's like no you can't bring the human element or the heart you know and it'll just push us to rise high, higher
0: you know i i i really think you know, you, you do recognize it, don't you, when you see it? I mean, we, we recognize that emotion in ourselves and, and that pull towards something and that recognition of something that's so minuscule, so so subtle, so nuanced. But I really think, yeah, you do see it in other people's work too. I mean, going back to when you first yeah. visited the American wing at the, at the New York Museum, that and I've had similar moments to that, Something else popped into my mind that I, I because I, I'm a, I'm a big believer that you know, kind of everything happens for a reason, that there are no accidents. Yeah. But I wonder, where do you think you would be, you know, if you weren't moved in that way by things that were created by the greats? You know, go back to the human side of things and 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 stuff that was created by by people and epic work, and you get to see what's what's actually possible that th- i i hear that that really shaped you in some way D- do you ever think about what if i didn't actually walk into that room
1: yeah i mean it, and the fact is when i went to the met i wasn't intentionally going there to look at the paintings i actually went to look at the armory because i was really into like illustration and swords and i have like a sword collection and everything <laughs> and um and then it would just happen to be in the room next door and i'm like well let me wander in here and it changed my life and um you know, I'd always loved, you know, drawing people's faces, but I just didn't, was not exposed to that being something that you could actually do, um, full time. Uh, but I think, you know, I was growing up in Alaska was an incredibly magical experience. Um, it was just, you know, it's an untamed wilderness everywhere you look, you know, and that raw beauty. And it just, It just does something, it it ignites your soul in a way that's very um, elemental. Um, I felt that going to Africa for the first time this past year as well, just that kind of really untamed beauty and animals in their natural habitat. And, you know, you're looking at areas of the earth that are unchanged really, you know, by humans. Um, And it's just powerful. And so I think I'd probably be a nature photographer or maybe I'd be like working with animals or be a park ranger or do something like outdoors because I love being in that environment. And to me, and that, you know, later as I got older and, you know, found my faith, uh, my personal faith as a Christian, I see the entire world, every part of the world as a moving painting created by the master artist. It's just in slow movement, right? But it's a, it's a painting, it's a creation. I see every person as another painting you know and it's just so yeah I'd probably be a photographer um I also dabble in playing music nothing I've ever done professionally but just something to express that gratitude you know um something I always say is like someone asked me to me like what is the purpose of a painting I was like Oh, wow. You know, because sometimes you can get so caught up in the technical and the joy of creating it <clears throat> or creating a person or a landscape. And to me, I I feel like a painting is, is a doorway and it's like a window into awareness. And um, I think on that moment when they asked me, I said, you know, well, painting is my way of saying amen, but visually, you yeah. know? And if we think of like, you know, the etymology of the word amen from the Hebrew, Hebrew to the Greek to the Latin, meaning, you know, an agreement of truth, a belief in in truth of what you're seeing or what is said. Um, wow. That to me is is what painting is. Just saying, I'm I'm in agreement with like the beauty and the mystery of this. I'm just enchanted to be a part of it all. And I want to create these windows into this awareness to hopefully ignite that feeling in someone else. Awesome. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the perfect uh, place to, to insert this uh, because um, I've got some questions here that have been asked by my online academy students. and Yeah, um, sure. See, they, they've, they've been helping me with some of my interviews and uh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And they also, they, they come up with some things that I don't think to ask. But here, Trey's asked this question, uh, how much emphasis is put on composition and subject matter? Um, and is storytelling important with your portraiture? So we yeah, covered a little bit of that. but That's a uh, great yeah. question. Mm.
1: And I think, you know, composition to me is very important. I know there are different ways to go about composition, golden mean, different methodologies. To me, it's a very intuitive process, kind of like how you describe looking at a photo and saying, that's the one. I just, I, I feel it and kind of compose that way. You know, I mean, I, I don't pre-draw any of my paintings um, like I have a few bef- behind me. I don't always paint all la prima, but I freehand and kind of gesture it out and and try to feel the composition on on the canvas before I get into the actual like, you know, meat of the painting. Um and so that is important, but I also think that that's very personal. It's personal to how you're in being inspired and ingesting the information around you and what you want to say in your painting, right? So, so composition, you know, goes into, um, I mean, there are certain, you know, things to like not have a tangent right at the edge of the, you know, canvas or something that can be distracting, but basically you don't want to distract from your main vision and and you want to share that vision with how you're perceiving the world with the audience. You know, it's like, yes, it's about the subject, but it's also about your perception of the subject and you being affected by the subject so there's all these different elements you know of course to painting i know like preaching to the choir saying that to you but, um and then what was the second part of his question
0: oh yeah so so the second part is um you know is storytelling important and uh, you know because i i there's so many paintings here just looking through your website that that have such a beautiful narrative quality you know particularly yeah. like let, let's take this painting of stephanie behind you um what the title of that is the falconer or what what um
1: the royal falconer
0: yeah because I kind of
1: put her in um more period clothing and she had trained with someone that was like had trained with royalty overseas and you know when she told me that story it seemed like a natural fit and um awesome yeah I think storytelling is very important um I do like to say that storytelling sometimes it can be if, if you're creating a painting and you're thinking I need to tell a story, sometimes that can feel overwhelming. Like it doesn't have to be some giant narrative, right? I, to me, I think of paintings can be a poem, a short story, or a novel, right? So a quick all la prima, which is like the one I did of Richard Schmidt here, um, that to me is more like, you know, a poem or a short story. Maybe even a quick figure sketch could be, you know, a poem. And this is you know one is more like a novel to me because it has more elements and it's touching on more um a big multi figurative piece can be like an epic novel so it's just i think narrative comes naturally when we're being intentional about what we're creating and intentional in the way of saying you know why do i want to paint this right you don't have to be able to put it in words for me kind of the 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 key is like i i want to paint things that make me catch my breath Moments that make me catch my breath, make my heart beat a little faster, you know, um, kind of like those moments in life where you feel awake, alert, really in sync with who you truly are and the world around you. Those, when we experience those moments, and I think everyone does, to me as an artist, that alerts you to that is something to paint, you know. So with Stephanie, which I know you interviewed Stephanie, and and it was great listening to that interview. She is such a gifted artist and and wonderful human being and um, I've known her I met her when um, I think she was 16 16 or 17 her first portrait oh. society
0: wow and
1: um, yeah just to go into it because I you know it pertains to the painting Um, but yeah one of a mutual friend said you know there's this young artist I'd like to invite her to dinner you know with us because um, she really wants to meet you and I was like great and we sat next to each other and she just peppered me like constantly with the most intelligent questions that really like made me think right and I've been teaching for a long time so there's like sometimes you know it's it amazes me that it's like oh that's a question I haven't been asked before and by the end of the dinner I told her I want to give you a scholarship to my workshop in a couple weeks in Vermont and she's like you haven't seen my work I was like I don't need to I know you're a fantastic painter just by the end the complexity and the intelligence of the questions you asked. I knew she was a great painter. And of course she is. Mm -hmm. And um, so that developed, you know, uh, into a friendship and, you know, I just uh, could almost see her like a younger sister. We have uh, so many similarities and different things and, and just, um, and just grateful to impart any advice to her, you know, and she's just flying right now with her career. I'm so happy for her. And I even, you can see one of those paintings, you showed this on the podcast, of it's kind of dark, but her hawk, yeah, yeah. yeah, I bought that because I was like, <laughs> I, I've got to own that painting. That's beautiful. Um, Fantastic. So at one point I went out and it was just right before the pandemic, I went out to visit her and paint with her in her studio. She had her hawk named Zorn, um, who, who's depicted in the painting. And so we spent several days together and we painted from life and I painted with their painting group and we had someone else posed with the hawk while we painted from life. And um, and it was just a really fun time. And i had always been like yourself fascinated with birds of prey. I just always have like my last studio in New Mexico, I had this little balcony that went out and it was next to a cottonwood tree where there were every year eagles or uh, great horned owls or um sorry, not eagles, hawks, red tailed hawks or Cooper's hawks would nest there. And I'd have the little babies come and land on my balcony and peek in my studio as I was working. And they'd get used to the sound of my voice. And it was like, <laughs> I could get really close to them. It was fascinating. And I always wanted to learn falconry from when I was like a teenager. And it was just something I never really had a chance to do. And so she and I had this art, you know, friendship. And then I found out that, you know, she she did falconry. And, and like, was licensed in it. And it's a huge process and commitment. And I realized I would have never had the time to do it, but it was fascinating to be around her, her sister, her dad, who all had their own hawks and did hunting with all of them. And so I knew I wanted to do a painting of her because, you know, I'd say about eight or nine years ago, I felt like a big shift happen in my work in where I didn't want to just paint people but I wanted to really paint the people that I know that I love that I have a relationship with like you know I've done paintings of my parents or you know like a painting of Richard or painting of people that friends Um, and sometimes those are really daunting because it's not just about a likeness it's about something more than a likeness right so we kind of put those off sometimes and when I went to Spain for the first time and went to Soroya's house and saw the paintings he did of course his paintings are just
0: phenomenal Amazing.
1: but then you see the paintings of his family that he did those paintings there's something deeper just like you know a few years back when they had the um sergeant and friends exhibit at the metropolitan i don't know if you got a chance to see that i think it traveled around the world uh
0: unfortunately no i didn't i now i'm, I'm spewing I, I wish i did wow <laughs> it was cool. just
1: next level to see him paint mm. people that he had relationship with but it is more challenging as an artist because you're going to be more hard on yourself like this is not finished I'm not happy with it yet it's in process it looks like her and it's starting to capture her um, but I want it to feel like she's sitting in my studio and so I'm still you know playing with it but um, the thing about Stephanie I could have her pose and take a picture of her with her hawk or paint her with her hawk and it could be a cool painting right a girl with a hawk and she's a real falconer but I know Stephanie, I know she has a tremendous Christian faith. So from all of the ways I could pose her, I wanted her looking up towards the light, kind of in this moment where you know, you connect with God kind of like a Joan of Arc kind of feel. Um, yeah, to have that feeling and I you know that's that was really important to me. and I need I wanted that to supersede the subject matter the fantastical subject matter of the hawk or the armor, which is, which is challenging, you know? And um, so, yeah, I'm still playing around with some stuff. I did paint it mostly kind of all a Prima in sections, but I'll probably go back and do some glazing. Sometimes I've done that with some paintings and, um, but yeah, I mean, I, a good, a good way to describe it going beyond the likeness is a, When I was painting the portrait of Richard Schmidt, you know, and Richard had just become a dear friend over the past, you know, 10 years that I knew him. And of course, I had studied his book back in the day when I was a young artist and never dreamed that I would ever get a chance to paint with him or be much less be mentored under him, much less become really close friends with him and his wife. And I knew the first time I was there spending time with him in in Vermont and he's demoing and painting and he would paint and then he'd turn around to us and like lean back in his chair and put his hand on his cheek and go get a little smirk and go, want to hear, want to hear a funny story, you know? And he'd launch into these really beautiful, like personal stories about his life as an artist. And I knew, I was like, I want to paint that moment. I did not have the skill I felt needed to do that painting back in 2010 you know but I remembered it and you know, we had a friendship that developed for quite a long time and just in a couple years before he passed you know you're never going to feel ready <laughs> to do a painting but I knew it was the time to do the painting and um, so when I painted that you know it's it of course a challenge to get it to look like him and a lot of people ask me about how do you how do you get that something beyond a likeness right hmm. and to make it because to me that was a goal in art school to get it to look like the person first to get it to look human then to get it to look like the person but then it's like you want it to feel like the person
0: yeah.
1: yeah and you can manipulate that with edges with color temperature focal point things like that and I know we'll get into talking shop about that kind of stuff later but um and it's just manipulating little shapes and getting little characteristics that are them, their little mannerisms, how they tilt their head, how they express themselves, how they, you know, lilt their eyebrow, if, you know, they're saying something. And so I remember painting this in my studio and it got to the point where it looked like him, but it wasn't there yet, but it looked just like him. And that took, you know, hours and days and days, you know. And then took a break, came back. And then I was just pushing and pulling shapes around for little bits, you know, just, just little sensitivities, right? Little manipulations. And all of a sudden I started to tear up because I missed him because he's almost like we had such a close relationship, almost like an uncle or a second dad kind of thing to, you know, as such a, a mentor relationship. Um, I teared up because I hadn't seen him in a while. I'm like, that's it. That's, that's when, you know. You get you get it because you get the emotional response from it and um yeah so
0: it's a beautiful painting michelle yeah I, unfortunately <laughs> i never had the chance to meet him but i i've admired his work for years and um his book a buddy of mine mike um owns his book and i i threatened to steal it from him at uh, several <laughs> occasions because it's just so good it's so good um what well, I do want to get into the shop talk, absolutely. But I, I've got another zinger here to ask you from yeah, Dagen, sure. from the from the academy. And so, and you describe it there a little bit. So, so maybe maybe we've already addressed this. But how do you achieve that sense of life and emotion in your paintings that goes beyond the simple likeness? And I like what you said there about you know you 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 keep playing with it. You keep just working that surface and just pulling out the shapes and manipulating subtly and just move by move by move and then boom I, I that moment I, I know that moment so well and I've said to Rachel my wife so many times you know when I've been painting a portrait um, well when I say so many times uh, I'll check myself when it works <laughs> when it works I'll say they've arrived they're here. You know, and, and I, it, it's happened, it's happened a couple of times where I've just been so excited because there's just something, there's something in the eye, there's something that, you know, it starts off looking kind of clunky and, you know, it, it's, you start off with the sticks and then you put flesh on the sticks and then you end up, you know, building this thing out until eventually, oh wow, okay. um, But it, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a spooky moment, a special moment, but yeah, if, I, I feel blessed to know exactly what you're talking about, though. That's it's yeah, it's awesome. And
1: I think part of, you know, kind of venturing into like, I don't know if you want to say being a professional artist or just being, you know, an artist that where you're creating the work you intend is to listen to that. It's almost like for me, I feel like it's a little bell that goes off like, ding, it's done, <laughs> you know, like an oven timer. I don't know. Just awesome. you, but you hit it, you you feel it, you know, it there are moments where we, especially if you're in the process of, of learning where you will second guess that in yourself and want validation. Is this done? Is this done? Like, I don't know when to stop and, you know, or we tend to can overwork things or something. And, um, one of the best pieces of advice I got from my mom when I was in high school, because she had a lot of artistic talent and dabbled in like, drawing, painting, stained glass, wood carving, you know, Um, didn't do it professionally, but could have if she had wanted to. Um, But she said, when you think it's almost done and there's only a couple things you want to change, leave it for 24 hours and don't look at it and then come back. And if those things still jump out to you, fix them. But she said, you're probably not going to remember what they are most of the time, 90% time. And she was spot on. So I do that because I, You know, back in my student days, and I mean, you're still your student for life, right? But back in the days when I was like, just miles and miles of canvas, I would tend to overwork things. And, but I loved the brevity of brushwork that I would see in like Richard's work or different people's work. And, And what I loved about that was not just the technical aspect, but to me, that was indicative of how I saw nature. You know, when you see someone and they turn and you see the light hit their face, and it's like this moment, your peripheral vision kind of blurs everything. And it's just you zero in. And your eye almost sees it like a, a loose a la prima painting. And so my goal is not to paint a certain style, but to paint how as closely and accurately and authentically to how I'm intaking the world and how I'm visually inspired by the world. And so that lends itself you know, to that. Um, but I think you know, going back to his question, I think one of the things I didn't mention that's very important at that stage Um, so you're very mindful about your painting is to really have an intention of what you want to capture, right? It's at that point, you kind of let the photograph go or your reference go. You might, maybe your life reference, if you got a chance to do a sketch from life might serve you better. Um, But it's almost like your memory of being around that person or, you know, just little expressions and you're, yes, pushing and playing with edges softening, hardening edges, things like that, pushing and pulling little shapes, very small increments. Um, but it's not to copy your reference because that will just continue to be stiff or get it more detailed, which doesn't necessarily get the expression. And to me, getting the expression or that kind of, you know, it's the intangible thing, the spirit of someone, right? Getting it to feel like they're in the room with you. Um, you can't just kind of be focusing on the technical and you can't be rushed. It's like, you have to really slow down and you have to think, what is it that I'm after? Like, for example, with Richard, he had, you know, an intelligence and a wit about him. That was very indicative to him. Right. It's intelligent. And, but then a little smile, a little smirk, a little like, that kind of little bit of carefree, you know, painting was very serious to him, but he enjoyed life almost in the way, like to me, a kid, both him and Nancy would become like kids with incredible skills in front of these, you know, models. And I mean that in the mindset, what we talked about earlier, Hmm. that mindset of wonder and fascination, like um, childhood recovered at will. He and his wife, Nancy Guzik, other amazing artists, just really embody that. And um, so I knew when it was like, it looks like him, but what I want to get is that little, that wit and that intelligent, the little, you know, nuance in his eye and and mouth and smile. And then you start playing with the shapes. Because if you start playing with the shapes without having the intention, then you're just kind of chasing form.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, And it's there, isn't it? The twinkle in the eye, the little smirk. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's there in that painting. I've got it pulled up on the screen here next <laughs> to me. You know, and I, I just want to say, like, this is what really excites me about the podcast and having this opportunity to speak with you and, and other amazing artists is, you know, I really feel like I personally, I learned so much. You just hit something that it, it's it been something that I've I've struggled with for many, many years with my own work. And it's like, when you get to that point where it's not quite there, But you know, my tendency was to drill down into the technical, focus on technique and then focus on detail. And consequently, like if there was a line as when something would start getting overworked, like I'm taking a flying leap over that line and I'm out there into into (laughs) dangerous territory. Every single thing starts getting detailed. And then I step back and I'm like, ah, But the funny thing is, when I go back to my initial compositional studies, my little sketches, even graphite stuff, I'm like, this sketch has it. It's so loose. It's so, you know, suggestive. But then the final painting, something got lost along the way. And that's happened a bunch. And so this is a great reminder for me, and I hope for other people listening as well, to really have that intention first and foremost and and check in with the, the thing you're really going for. Because you know, technique's important for sure. you gotta know what you're doing. but oh, yeah. it's not it's not all about just the fancy tricks and the detail and piling it on, is it?
1: Yeah, and I mean I love I love all that stuff. I love all the technical, you know the viscosity of paint and mm. you know palette knife versus uh, you know wash and how it you know plays upon the canvas and all of that. I'm like such a geek when it comes to like art technique. but um, but that can't override the emotive story that you're trying to convey or if that doesn't point to that right it's like you, then you're just getting lost in technique and you know there's that saying in writing i'm a friend that's you know professional writer where it's like sometimes you have to kill your darlings because it doesn't go with the story or there's things an editor has to edit out of a movie because it, it might be a great scene but it interrupts the, the the flow of you know the focus of the scene and um those are really, really hard moments when you have to let something go that you feel like you've done. That's like you're just juicy technical stuff you love. Um, It helped when I was growing up that my mother was very artistically minded. You know, I would like, when I was in college, I would get her to watch like Richard Schmidt videos with me and I could talk shop with her before I had friends that could talk shop about stuff. My dad was an engineer. And so if I showed a painting, my mom would be like, yeah, you know, this brushwork, this, you know, this color harmony. My dad might just come in and go, well, that expression looks strange because, you know, he's coming from a point as a layman, you know, like not an artist. And that's a huge part of our audience too. And I think like the goal for me has always been to like um, paint something that shows that beauty of that person or that moment in time, whether it's landscape or person or, you know, an animal or something that you're painting. And it just shows off who they are but then it also shows off how you're seeing them. And that's where the technical comes into me, how you're seeing it. And but to me, I always kind of want, you know, I mean, who doesn't want our other artists to like be dazzled by the technique of your work? We want that because that helps us know we're growing and we're, you know, um doing competent work. But I never want it to overpower that the moment, the um, the the emotive aspect. And, um, you know, going back to the the painting of Richard, you know, there were a lot of techniques I played with that were new. I always try to push myself to do new techniques. You practice, every time I do a painting, I try to practice something I'm currently working on and do something I've never done before, you know? And it could be a little thing that maybe no one else notices, even in in a life study, you know, and then you can implement that into your studio painting, just to kind of keep myself from becoming stagnant or too reliant on certain methodology. I feel like the greatest you know, the only formula I use with painting is paying attention to life. you know, and trying to do that with as much, you know, conscientious, you know, authentic intensity as I can. And then figure out techniques to express that. But um, so one, you know, really great moment I had when someone viewed that painting, because sometimes as artists, we never get to see the person like really ingest the painting or have the reaction to it. And I usually kind of shy away from that, I like my own shows, I hate, like, I hate standing in front of my work, you know, like talking about, unless it's with another artist, you know, or something, mm-hmm. but, um, but it was at, port. it was a finalist at Portrait Society, and there's a time where you're supposed to go in the room, you're supposed to stand next to your painting, and I was, like, out in the hallway, kind of, like, being, like, oh, I just, um I feel like when I do the painting, it's just, it's, it's not about the ego, it's not about me, it's, you know, it's about, kind of, opening that door to spirit, and so it's, like, I don't want to make it about me. Sometimes I'll forget to even sign my paintings. My galleries get off after me about that. But, um, there was a man looking at the painting of Richard and he was standing there for a long time and he was really like, you know, strong, tall, you know, look like a football player kind of guy, real masculine guy. And then he turns to me and he goes, you're the artist, right? And I said, yeah. And he looked at me and he, and he had tears in his eyes, like, a little bit of watering in his eyes. And he said, Richard has been my greatest teacher. He said, I've never met him, but I've just, you know, of course, like everyone studied all prima. His words ring out to me every time I paint. He he said, he is my hero. And everyone wants to meet your their hero. And he said, I know at this point, I'll probably never meet him in person because he wasn't doing like public appearances. And he looked at me and he's tearing up and he said, looking at your painting, I feel like I've met my hero. And that just makes me want to tear up, just recalling that. And I'm like, that is why I paint and want to paint people. Because I know it was immense, an immense privilege to get to spend so much time with Richard one-on-one. I want everyone to have a feel of that experience of what it's like to be with him and if in some very small way I can capture a little bit of that or give them that experience through a painting done with intention for that experience, that is like, that's it. That means more to me than any award or anything like that, you know? Yeah. That's that's the reason we do it.
0: You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful, Michelle, to hear about that connection that you've had with Richard. I mean, he's such he was such an incredible artist and again, you know, admire his work greatly. And, you know, he's one of those guys that I look at and, and I, I kind of scratch my head just going, how, you know, I do tend to focus on those technical things and, and pour over that side of things, but there is a beautiful emotional quality that comes through his work. But also, I mean, I just loved hearing that about the emotional quality in your painting having that effect on that gentleman that's that's really special
1: I think before I met Richard I was really focused on just the technical stuff as well like I love the technical stuff and I think you know one of the interesting things about to me the artistic journey and this is pretty similar to most artists I think that I've talked to is there's something in us when we're young that we want to create we want to you know do a drawing of a person or do a drawing of an animal or something and then we know we don't have the skills so we go to art school or we figure out how to learn or we study from books and we get so caught up in the technical that we get out of art school i know i was kind of like what do i do now i'd kind of lost track with why i wanted to do it and that's where i think it has to go back into the to the why what really personally moves you as an artist and to me when i went out to study with richard when you know he saw a painting of mine that was the first painting that ever um, of mine that got into portrait society as a finalist. And he called me up on the phone and I'd met him before, like at a book signing random, but you know, I didn't expect him to remember me. And this was back in like 2009 or early 2010. And he called me to recognize his voice and he invited me to come up and, and paint with him and express that he really you know loved this painting. And I was so thrilled and I thought, gosh, you know, I just wanna learn all this technical stuff. And sure he did impart some technical stuff, But what I learned was not what I was expecting to learn. The the, the most significant thing I learned from Richard and Nancy, his wife as well, is that beauty of of not trying to just create a great painting or being attached to the end product. That beauty of immersing yourself in the moment, painting another human being from life, finding out about their story, connecting with them, yeah that emotional quality which was not something I knew I wanted it in my finished work but at that time I mostly painted from life where the model's silent you know you're in a class you're just doing shape and form and you know that kind of thing and um Richard and Nancy talked to the model more than anyone I'd ever met you know they'll talk while they're painting and he's not concerned with getting an exact exact representation um And that presence of mind, that kind of joy of connecting with another person, it shows up in the work in a way that's just almost indescribable. And I think too, as I've learned when you're in that, and you're really in that appreciative state of being in the moment, and you have that intention to capture something of what you're experiencing of this person. You're not worried about what anyone's gonna think of the painting, your ego's not in it basically. Mm you're really in a spiritual place, kind of connecting all the knowledge that you've accumulated comes out and you do things that you're like, you don't second guess yourself as much. Cause you don't have time to second guess yourself. Cause you're not in your ego, right? You're just focused on the other person. So it's, it's just like this natural outpouring that happens. And sure you're using like all your mental faculties and your knowledge of technique, but it's like, It doesn't supersede the moment and you know i remember when richard you know painted my portrait and you know there's a video on that and he did like everybody loves that like he did this palette around me that i'm like immersed kind of coming out of this palette and i thought it's almost like very symbolic being a painter and so during the break he and or you know myself and nancy guzik and and some other people that were there gathered around and we're like, wow, this is really interesting. And he's like, well, I'm just painting what I'm seeing. Nancy had her palette on a back wall and it, you could see the white reds, yellows, you know, and then I was wearing green and then there was a blue cloth on the chair Mm -hmm. behind me. And so it naturally created my palette and, and he left it really loose in the shoulder and everything. And I was like, I love how you left this loose here. And he goes, I said, were you just purposely doing that to kind of, bring the focal point over here. And he goes, well, that's how your shoulder looks when I'm looking at your face. Like I, he said, I'm painting what I'm seeing.
0: Wow. How interesting.
1: It So it was, it was just kind of fascinating that, and we were, you know, he had like, he, he was talking to me while I was posing. He didn't want me to sit perfectly still. Like, um, you know, sometimes if he was doing my mouth, he'd have me sit still, but it was just, it was this whole experience of this moment. And I felt like he really captured, you know, me and my presence while I'm painting, which is very serious. A lot of people said like, oh, well, you always are smiling, but he knew me as the painter. That's, you know, we're serious when we paint <laughs> together. Um,
0: that's awesome. Oh, how wonderful. You know, there's, a, there's another artist from reading your bio. There's somebody else that um, really stuck out to me, somebody that I've admired for years and years. And that's Jeremy Lipking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've, I've actually, I've got a question here from Agatha. And um, she wants to know specifically what what did you learn from Lip King? What was the most important thing that you received from his teaching? And I understand that you're mm-hmm. you're That's good, good friends with uh, with Jeremy now, and um, so it, t- describe that to me. Like, how did you first meet Jeremy Lip King, and and what were some of the things that you got from him?
1: Yeah, I mean, Jeremy and his wife Danielle really good friends. They're like family. Um, Jeremy's like a brother, you know. And so so I first met them back in. 2001 I think it was Mm. so I had just seen like a little painting that you know it's before he was like Jeremy (laughs) looking I'd seen a little painting in a magazine that looked very Zorn like and saw that he was teaching this guy was teaching a workshop I didn't know how old he was I didn't know anything about him he hadn't done his big shows you know this was really early on but he was teaching in Arizona and it was like a weekend workshop I think for like $99 or something like that like two days and then he was teaching a, a week-long workshop in New Mexico that was more expensive. And, and um you know, I was like, well, I'm going to go to this little one. And if he's, you know, really great teacher, I'll take this other, you know, workshop. And he was, you know, fantastic uh, teacher in person. And um, we just hit it off because I didn't know we were around the same age. And so me And him and his wife, we just became fast friends. Glenn Dean was also in that class um, awesome. with Jeremy. And so we all became friends and hung out and you know, went out to dinner and talk shop and wee hours of the morning. And um then when I was in New Mexico and took um in Taos, took this week-long workshop with him painting the figure. Um, you know, I got to know them even better, and I brought a painting for him to critique and I remember he stared at the painting for quite a long time, which made me really nervous and he wasn't saying anything. And Danielle leaned over to me and she goes, that's a really good sign. And I was like, okay. And um he's like, I don't, I don't have anything that I would change on it. It's you know really nice. And they actually bought the painting oh, wow. for their collection. Wow. And he told me, they both advised me that I need to, you know, it was time for me to be in galleries and I just didn't feel ready. You know, I was like classic overachiever perfectionist, which I, I'm still an overachiever, but I've replaced the quest for excellence with, you know, let go of perfection or try to let go of it. And, um, and they took that painting and he showed it to his gallery in Beverly Hills. The gallery called me up and invited me to participate in a group show. And that was my first gallery. And then pretty soon after that, I moved out to California just because, He was there. He wasn't teaching really at the time. He had just done this one workshop and um, just hung out and spent time painting with him and then met other artists in the area. And then we all became friends and would hang out painting. And um, this was pre social media, but it was like um, just great times of like, you know, hanging out, having dinner, you know, painting a model from life, talking shop until two or three in the morning over some beers and just like just really. You know, connecting, um, and you know, it was a, there was a group of us, maybe about thirteen of us, that all gathered together and did that. And um, but Jeremy and I have stayed really good friends. And uh, one of the things that we're actually teaching a workshop together um, in Africa in a couple months. And um, but one of the things that I learned the most from him, he's very generous with his knowledge. He has no secrets, and so I kind of learned about teaching as well from him, you know, like there's no, you know, just to share anything and everything because the more great art that's out there, the better, you know, and just so very generous. And so is Richard like that. And I try to be as well um, that I learned from him, I'm trying to think how the best way to put this, the biggest thing I learned, which I really needed at that time was when he would paint from life, he wasn't worried about the kind of, you know, the, that messy stage of the painting in between, like leaving certain things. He didn't care what people thought. He was just like putting down the necessary elements in a painting to then build upon that foundation and build it up to the place he wanted. And I think one of the things, cause I'm a huge advocate of painting from life, right? But, and I've done it a ton and try to do it as much as possible. One of the things that will trip artists up painting from life is if they're trying to explore new technique and go out of their comfort zone and they start worrying about like, well, what is someone going to think? It doesn't look good. Let me fix it. Let me fix it in case someone comes around and looks at it. Right. And again, that's ego. And I feel like ego has no place in the, in becoming a great artist, you know, it will only trip you up and Jeremy would do something and it would look really odd in an area and leave it. And he would just leave it until he was ready to fix it and you could actually i remember kind of you know being in a workshop and there were several people you know like a group of 12 people watching him and you could see people getting antsy and finally one guy said when are you gonna fix this part and jeremy's like (laughs) it's not time to fix that if i fix that now i'm gonna have to fix it again later i need to get this area and this and this value and this color harmony and then i can go back and know exactly how to pull that together And when he said that, I was like, that is, was fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. You're just completely letting go of, you know, what it looks like with the process of getting to where you want to be and, and not worrying about what people think. And that's, and that's huge. And I think if, you know, any artist that's struggling painting from life, if they could just do that focus on that and not work. Cause like, you know, I teach a lot of classes as, like you do and um, going around the room. A lot of times people are nervous, you know, and it's just, if you just focus on what you're doing and don't worry about what someone else is doing, cause they're not worried about what you're doing. They're worried about what they're doing, you know, and just learn and, and kind of grow and, and encourage one another and um, just take your, take the necessary time with a painting that it needs. Um, that's, that's so important. That's
0: so important. Yeah. Yeah, it's it that's and that's the trick, isn't it? Getting out, getting out of your head, worrying about what's in somebody else's head, and um, it, that that's something that I still, still am to this day uh, struggle with. You know, from time to time, I I, I slip up. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like it's just look weird. Shall I fix this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had a moment
1: this morning where I'm like, do I put this up on my easel? Because that's what's on my easel now, right? It's authentic. But there are things I'm still working on. I still want to push the feathers of the bird back. I still want to, like, you know, play around with some things. Um, but I, I do know someone asked a question about sizes of paintings, and so it's the large painting that I had in my studio, and I thought it's okay. This is a, it's in process. It doesn't need to be oh, perfect. I'm
0: so glad you've included it because it's it's beautiful as well. you know, let's go let's go back to that painting, um, sure. the Royal Falconer. It, so I, I I'm really curious okay so you're going to push and pull those feathers a little bit to me it looks finished mind you we're talking on zoom here so I'm just seeing yeah. the, zo- the zoom <laughs> view and I'm not there in your studio but it looks fabulous so Thank let you. let's let's go into uh, use this opportunity to go into a few technical things but but first sure. up, let, let's I'd love to know okay what else have you got to go on this painting or and are, are you are you still waiting for that moment that we talked about before that magical moment where stephanie arrives and and there she is
1: yeah it's funny so i feel like i have the moment here and a little bit her expression of her smile which i know is hard to see because it's at an angle i feel like there's still some edge manipulation with like i said the back of the feathers maybe a little bit in her neck maybe a little bit in her sleeve You know, I'm pretty happy with, you know, the fabric. It's actually very loose, but it has like a velvet tunic that had some designs. Um, I was gonna do the background complete, like the photograph was completely dark, right? Because she was just illuminated by a spotlight indoors. Um, I was really kind of studying Rembrandt paintings around the time and and kind of wanted to do something emulating kind of that lighting. Um, So this was just the initial wash that I put in back here in the background. But I really liked it. I liked that it added texture back there. I liked that you couldn't really tell what it was. Um, It added some movement, some rhythm, rhythmical element. So I decided to keep that, you know? So if I turn that dark, I could easily have her kind of just emerging from the light. So I think leaving that, and I kind of have, have let it dry now because I do want to play around with some glazing, with some walnut oil, um, I don't think I'm going to do the background dark because I do like that. I like how it kind of flows in and kind of ties in a little bit with her hair. And, the and you know, there's this harmony of the color that rhythmically goes down to the talons of the hawk and, and such. Um, but I want to try glazing some of the feathers back and see if that will create that turn of form. And, you know, if you glaze with walnut oil after it's dry, if I don't like it, it can completely wipe it off and get back to the original painting underneath. So it's just that. A little bit of an experimental phase because i did change that a little bit and there could have easily been light hitting back there it's just not in my reference so that's what i'm going to play around with and um yeah just maybe some of the the sh- i've never painted armor before and i still like i'm not i'm 90 percent happy with it and i still want to play with it but it's like i did leave it aside for a while And because a lot of people said oh it's done don't touch it you know um that that had seen it and um but there's still some little tweaks and it's probably like no one else would notice them but me but I want a painting to read from like 10 feet away and feel like the person sitting there but then I want to be able to get up close and like you know have fun with the technique and so there's just a little couple places where I want to push and pull some edges I guess
0: so you mentioned something there, Michelle, about the um, about the reference material being dark for for Stephanie, you know, working on yeah. that. And I know you you did a bunch from life, too, but yeah. i got a great question here from Cove Arts over on, on the Academy. Um, do you make any alterations to the photograph or in Photoshop, like increasing your contrast, saturation, that sort of stuff? Do you, do you manipulate it at all?
1: Like before I paint my photo yeah, reference? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't honestly really change like contrast, color saturation, post edit. I do that in the painting because even like, you know, I have a great camera. I shoot, it. try to shoot mostly natural light. This was a spotlight in her basement studio that she had, but it was a really nice one. So it had, you know, a big range of, of color, but you know, a camera is a great tool But if you're using the correct lens, correct focal length, distance from the subject, it will give you accurate drawing, but it pushes it, you know, makes everything overly contrasted. It dilutes the color. You know, if, I mean, when you paint from life, you can really see if you take a photograph of the model and you you look at your painting, such a huge difference. It pushes the contrast. It desaturates the color in the lights, in the shadows, especially in the halftones where the greatest areas of color exist. And, um, so I will make those changes, but not try to manipulate the photograph. I'll make those changes in the painting. And that's why I find like, I have painted Stephanie from life before, um, not in this exact pose and exact lighting, but I always try to do paint someone from life before I paint them from a photograph, just because, or study them intensely from life, even if I can't paint them. But even if it's just like a 10 minute painting to get some color notes down, where there's no form, no no features, but just color notations, and value notations i can then use that coupled with the photograph to then create the painting because there are things you're going to want to change to make it i'm you know i'm not interested in making something that looks like a photograph i am interested in making something that looks like real life in front of me and real life you know you have so much vibrancy you know you never have black shadows like pure black shadows um you have there's transparency in the shadows there's whispers of color in the shadows there's also um you know around the highlight there's like illuminations of color notation that create that glow and create that three-dimensionality and that atmospheric sense of you know a portrait or I'm sure just anything that you're painting you know um
0: Mm. it's yeah and this is something I find particularly with um you know you mentioned shadows anytime I've tried to use black for communicating that I don't know. Have you? I I I like the way you put the the whispers of color. I try to mix mm. my black so you can get a little whisper of something else in there and push it and pull. And yeah, sometimes like you when you're th- photographing something, you know that in particular, like your shadows, for me maybe just because I shoot pretty dark. It, the, the shadows just drop away to nothing. You're not getting any information back out. And there's yeah. a tendency to go, well, I'll just mix up a bunch of black. Yeah, there we go. Exactly.
1: You know? And that doesn't You, look you want, look you want like a little
0: so, something more to come through, right? Eh? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I feel like there's no pure black or pure white in nature, right? Everything's affected by light and color. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, I don't usually put black out on my palette. Sometimes I do when I'm doing outdoor painting because you can mix it with yellows and get beautiful greens, you know, or, or gray down colors really beautifully with like an ivory black. Sometimes that works even better to create luminosity in a landscape than using a color complement, right? If you want that kind of, um, uh, you know, I'd see that in Howard Turbineen's work or some of the great cowboy artists, they'd use the black to kind of dull it down just a little bit. Um, But I don't use it in like the face um, at all, like black out of the tube. I always mix my blacks with like a transparent oxide red and ultramarine blue usually and I try not to even overmix it because I want to get little striations of color and you know you can do a shadow with any transparent colors I feel like because then that transparency will have those little notations of color and give you a feeling like you could look back and see something in the shadow but you can't quite make it out which is how it is in real life mm. um but just you know one quick thing I guess to to finish answering his question about the photograph one thing I do manipulate with photographs you mentioned shooting dark and and we do sometimes have to shoot for the lights and shoot for the darks and so I might shoot a lighter photograph or a darker photograph and use the two you know it's it's i think it would take hours to try to like get those combined perfectly to paint from and I'd still want to change things in the painting so I might just shoot those differently and look at one when I'm looking at the lights one when I'm looking at the darks but what one thing I really do often is when I'm painting someone like for example you know Stephanie I knew I was hitting on something with the lighting and the pose and I'm just having her move. And I just say, move slowly, just interact with the hawk, do whatever feels natural, pretend I'm not here, right? And I'm just gonna shoot pictures. And so she's kind of moving at half speed. And so I'll just keep, situate myself in a certain place and then shoot tons of pictures from that vantage point, Mm -hmm. right? And so I can take the head from one, the hands from another, you know, the movement of the hawk from another, And combine those to create a composite in Photoshop where the lighting is the same. As long as you're not moving, the mistake, you know, I'd see some artists make, sometimes I'll teach this, like have them do a photo session with a model to kind of guide them through this process after when I teach a workshop, is they'll kind of shift like this. And that's natural to kind of want to get a different angle. But if you hit something you like, it could be the face or the hands or some play of light, just say, I might say, you know, just keep your face like that, but try moving your hands differently. Try playing with the hawk differently. And then just, I can't move. I need to shoot those pictures. Then I can take and circle and splice those together to create my own composition. And I do that um, most of the time when I'm creating a painting. I hardly ever get, I mean, it's like maybe 5% of the time you get a photograph that you're like, this is just beautiful and I'm going to paint this photograph. But to create my vision that I had or my experience, I usually have to take a culmination. I work for maybe three to five different photographs.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Well, it, it makes sense, right? You know, because you'll, you'll have one thing that's present in something and then something will show up in something else. I, I, I end up putting together quite a lot of composites, um, you know, whether it's a landscape or a portrait across yeah. a, a wide range of material, because you're going you're gonna to hit these points across a multitude of images. And I've said in my teaching as well that, you know, rarely will I find one thing that will that will be the anchor for the painting you know, where exactly. will I find one, one, uh, one photograph, I should say, that will be the anchor. Um, I, I, I would love. And yeah, it's not to...
1: advocating changing nature, right? You're not changing nature, but it's just like, I think the picture where her head was like this, the hawk put its head down, you know? And so yep, I, yep, there was another yep. picture where she's looking at me, which I was really tempted to paint, And I might do a smaller version of that. Mm-hmm. Cause it was really, she's intently looking like, just like a, such a badass, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. it would paint. And I took the hawk from that one to create this one, but I really wanted for the life-size portrait to kind of paint her. Looking up and kind yeah. of exemplifying her faith.
0: It's 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 awesome. The pose is perfect. And I just yeah, it's a beautiful painting. And look, if this isn't finished, I'm excited to see what it's going to look like finished. <laughs> so I'll be checking your your website with interest. Um, I, I I would love to dive a bit more into the technicals you mentioned before. Walnut oil, something that I haven't got any experience working with, I do have a bottle here in the studio, but mm-hmm. I've got a, a great question here from Sheila. What paint, painting medium do you use, if any? So we already know you use a bit of walnut oil, but I, I would like mm-hmm. to hear, you know, your process, because you work a lot a la prima. What is yeah. your process for building up the painting? What are you mixing? Run me through those first stages. And and then to Sheila's question, let let's let me ask you about your mediums.
1: Yeah, so really the only medium I use is walnut oil. I will use a walnut alkid if I'm traveling. Like when I go to, you know, Africa in a couple of months, I'm going to take the alkid because then it'll set up and dry pretty quickly. Um, if I can, I try not to even paint with medium. I might use a little Gamsol for the initial wash. I try to keep, I tend to be allergic to some of these things, like back in the day using, you know, turpenoid or different, you know, any kind of paint thinners. I just was getting a sore throat. Like I almost thought I wasn't gonna be able to do regular oils at 24 because like any of the solvents made me sick. Gamsol, when they came out with that and you know all the technical information that it has like less toxins per parts per million in the air, you know, stuff. I don't know how to measure that, but they had all the measurements. Um, it doesn't affect me. So like that, I will initially do a wash. Like the the wash back here is done with Gamsol and colors just to keep it thin. It also on the canvas I use, it sets up really quickly, like in about 20 or 30 minutes, um, those initial Gamsol washes. And then I can kind of go in and paint. It gives me a little time to blend edges, but then I can go in and paint. And I'd say 80% of my painting, I don't use medium. I like paint straight out of the tube. If you're using professional grade paint, it has very little filler, it's good, good quality. And I use several different brands of paint because sometimes I like it you know, more buttery or you know stiffer paint for different colors. Um, Mm -hmm. then I just prefer to not use medium and walnut oil. I'll generally use on a larger painting when you get into kind of those finishing touches of the face, right. Mm -hmm. And you're needing to lay over certain areas, over existing paint. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't use paint thinner. It'll pick up the paint, but using like a very soft brush, like a mongoose brush or a synthetic mongoose or a sable and maybe like a long flat and some walnut oil, you can just glide that. It's like trying to, you know, ice a cake, right? If you have that oil, like having, you know, the knife wet, it glides the frosting right on top without disturbing what's underneath, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I ever baked a cake, I just grabbed the knife, did it, didn't know to put it under hot water and all the cake came off. And, you know, the first time I tried to do that on a painting, it like made a hole in the, you know, the existing paint. Cause so there is that process that knowing how like the technical qualities and the chemical qualities work to, to lay things on top of each other. So that's really like the area I use walnut oil. Um, when I travel for quick studies, I'll take the walnut alkid, which, you know, I just got in like a swag bag at a conference, but I really liked it. Um, and I, I thought it was regular walnut oil because it almost looks the same. And then my painting was dry the next day. I was like, oh, Um but that's kind of fun and can actually I found be used in lieu of paint thinner, because sometimes when you travel to different countries, they don't have Gamsol and some of the stuff that they do have is really toxic. And I just don't want to wash my brushes in it or, you know, get be smelling that. Cause I'll just get really loopy. Like I've had a couple glasses of wine and I never have a couple glasses of wine, <laughs> you know, just, it affects me in a way um, the, the paint thinner. And I think you said the same thing on the one with Stephanie is that you uh, are affected by
0: paint thinners some yeah. thinners you know currently I I use the liquid in a whole bunch um just because I find it so convenient and it for my particular technique of layering and layering and layering I I rely on that speed of drawing to then build up the complexity of the image um yeah one of, one of my favorite things is laying down a little bit of texture with with some bristle brushes and then going back over that and then with the gaps between the brush strokes you start to reveal this complexity it's really only visible when you mm-hmm. step up close. It's like it's like you put together this thing with thread in a way. I I, I don't know how to describe it, but no, that, I tol-
1: I think I totally get what you're meaning. I haven't seen yeah. your paintings in person, which I'd love to, but um, one of these days. Um, but I I tend to do the same thing, and I do it, I guess, because you know I didn't use a lot of different mediums because, like some of those, when people bring them into my class, I just get sick. I just, you know, like to the point of being dizzy and almost falling down. It just affects me so strongly, but I do it based on the variation of brushes I use, Mm. like using thin brushes, thick brushes, hog hair versus, you know, synthetics or bristles to be able to lay it down. And sometimes, you know, depending on like the, the thinness of the paint versus the thicker, you know, some tubes are like, I like, you know, a stiffer quality or a less oily paint. And for some of my darks, I like the paints to be like the real buttery and more oily. Um, you can kind of layer that and get that effect without using a medium based on the brushes you're using and the surface you're using. Um, that said though, I did really love your copy you did of the two lions, that video. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was hurdles, just beautiful. Yeah. And I actually, after seeing that, I bought some of that, um, it's I forget what it's called. It's a liquid, but it's like a tube, like a thicker liquid.
0: L- liquid impasto. Yep. yep. Impasto.
1: I bought some to experiment with it, <laughs> so I yeah. haven't used
0: it. It's it, that's that was a fun painting, and and yeah, it, but the 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 materials that I was using were, were not what Arthur Wardle would have been using. Yeah. He w- he would have had a process very similar to yours, I imagine. And and when I was studying that painting up close, I fortunately got to see the the original. In in Jackson, Jackson Hall, Wyoming, at the American Wildlife Museum.
1: I love that museum. A- a-
0: amazing. The original is amazing. I remember that painting just being so arresting, just standing there in front of it, just going, Wow, how? Like it just had that, you know, talk about emotional quality for yeah. a wildlife painting. It just had that emotional quality. And so it's it's long since been my favorite. So about 10, 15 years later, I decided oh, th- I'm going to do a master copy of this one. I found a great a stellar job, job on, on that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's um, it's um hanging in the house now. I, I, I won't part with it, but I, I just... Oh, I was going to say,
1: I'm like, is that for sale?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I also don't know legally if I can sell it because I think it, the... the I, I'm sure you can as a master copy because it's it can't be... The same size, yeah. So I don't you think to... you can put
1: it in a gallery, but if another artist wants to buy it, we'll,
0: we'll work something out. you. just let me know. <laughs> but, um, it was I have a big oh. affinity
1: for lions, too. So,
0: <laughs> oh, it's yeah, absolutely. I, I, by the way, I'm excited to see what uh, the results of your, your African trip is going to be. That's going to be cool. That's going to be, cool.
1: yeah. I, I really fell in love with it. I, you know, went for the first time to teach a workshop, I was contacted by. Um, a local artist um, that lives there and she decided to start a company doing workshops and bringing artists there because she has three kids in high school and she can't travel to the states often she's like I really want to take a workshop with you but would you come here if I brought you here and teach a workshop and you know we'll do whatever you want to do go on safari she's like I don't know if you're into animals and I love animals I wanted to be a wildlife painter when I was younger and I just kind of veered into portraits but I've always wanted to revisit that to me it's like portrait is a portrait is a portrait, right? Whether it's a line, whether it's a, you know, person, it's just that same emotion in the eyes and that same, you know, um, similar qualities of how I'm responding to the subject. And uh, so, yeah, so I went out, out there with workshops and essay and didn't know what to expect. It had been like my dream as a little girl to go to Africa. So it was like childhood bucket list dream. And it was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life. Oh, wow. It was just life-changing and I felt like, you know, I, I I taught a workshop where we went on safari and then I went with a friend up to Kruger National Park to celebrate my birthday and, um, you know, Kruger is like the real wild area where National Geographic goes and you never know what's going to come out, you know, around the, you know, the corner and I was just in heaven there. It was like, it felt to me like I was in God's garden of creation. Wow. And I remember being on safari, there's, um, a painting I'm going to start in the next week, you know, my first painting of this lioness. Um, I also just ordered a big six foot canvas that I'm going to do a life-size lion painting, which I'm super excited about. Wow. Um, but I remember being at sunset, we're on safari and we saw these four lionesses and they were about to go on a hunt. Like we were kind of situated between the zebras and the lioness and not looked like the lioness was looking right at us i'm like are we okay he's like yeah we're fine they're looking at the zebra they're just ignoring us and got some tremendous you know photos and um, i wanted to take my easel out kind of paint as i was in the jeep but i just didn't think that was realistic but i since as i've developed a friendship with this ranger that lives out there he's like you know next time you come can do that you can bring your paints out and i'll take you out i was like that would be amazing to paint from life to try that because he he can make sure i don't get eaten you know he can make sure that (laughs) the lions are are at a safe distance um but so i we saw these lionesses and then the zebras caught whiff of them and and went off in the distance and the lionesses realized like right at that moment they lost their meal so they just came down and they're kind of plopped themselves around our safari vehicle. And just yawning and stretching and looking at each other like house cats. And it was right at sunset. And then the sky just turned this beautiful gold, like it looked like gold leaf, right? And you're there and it's like you're in an open air vehicle. I remember when I sh- showed a friend of mine some video, she's like, You had your windows rolled down. I'm like, There are no windows. There's no roof. You're just, you're in an open air vehicle. But they see you as one big, you you just have to not stand up individually. You just have to stay seated because then they see you as one big entity, kind of like an elephant and they won't attack, you know, Um, we're not, they don't see us as on their food chain. So, Um, so I'm looking at this lioness and she looked directly at me and we're having, it's this moment, right? Where you lock eyes with this amazing being, and she's probably five feet away from me, just looking at me. Wow, and I felt no hostility from her at all. It's a completely wild lioness. I was mesmerized by, I mean, she was a young female, so didn't have cubs yet, but adult and, um, beautiful mane, but scars on her face from, you know, their territorial fights or whatever that they might have, um, with, with other groups of lions. And, um, there was such a beauty in the juxtaposition of of like the scars and then her natural beauty as Mm. as an animal. And I'm looking at her and it just, it was this moment when I realized that wildness is not hostility. Mm. Wildness is like freedom and possibility. And it just like ignited my soul. And and then I remember when the sky turned gold, I looked up at the sky, you know, just like your natural inclination as an artist or, or human being. And then I looked at the lioness and she was looking up at the sky. And then we looked back again at each other and I'm like, she's appreciating the sunset at the same moment I am, we're not that different. And it was like a moment I knew I wanted to paint. And thankfully I had, you know, my camera here and I am i wasn't even looking through my camera but I had it situated on them taking pictures and kind of a little zoomed out so I could just be in the moment and um, and taking some video. And it was just, it felt like how it was intended to be. I can't explain it. It just, Amazing. and I can't wait to, to paint that. Oh, I and I can't wait to, wait to that. and I can't wait to see
0: that. I can't wait to see that. That's so cool, man. What I'd give for an opportunity to paint with you in Africa. And so um, I understand oh, that that, that workshop that there. you're, that you're doing is, is sold out now, but there's, there's another one in 2024.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this one is coming up in August, which um sold out very quickly I have another one in October that also sold out that I'm teaching on my own. I'm going back three times. That's how much I loved Africa. And then um, Jeremy and I were talking about like, because Africa is so vast. There's so many areas to see. You could keep going back and have new experiences. I mean, every day was a different experience, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never seen a country with such different landscape. You could drive 20 minutes and the landscape completely changes. You know, Mm -hmm. one morning we saw lion's in in the, the hills and in the by the afternoon we were having lunch by the ocean seeing whales breach the water you know it's like where can you do that it's just wow. incredible I mean it reminded me a little bit of the you know not in its aesthetics of Alaska but in the wonderment and wildness where you can see a bear and you can see a whale jump out of the ocean and you can see you know a moose walk by it's like that same kind of like really made me feel like a little kid while I was there and um so yeah so another area I've always wanted to visit is um because where we're going is South Africa and Kruger is um, more uh, north, which is Kenya and the Maasai Mara. I've always been fascinated as a little girl when I saw the Maasai people in movies and their rich cultural history. And, you know, very much like I've been fascinated with Native American culture here in the U.S. and just the indigenous cultures and kind of how they've stuck to some of those traditions and how they consider themselves guardians of the land. And so, you know, we are going to go on, you know, safari and sketch animals and paint, um, paint people in the landscape, sketch wildlife, paint just landscapes. And we're also going to spend a couple of days at a Maasai village, and hopefully paint some of those people from life, which I'm so excited to. <laughs> awesome! Oh,
0: that sounds incredible.
1: Yeah, and there is still space in that workshop in April, and we chose April because it's not a high tourist season, but it's actually the best time to see wildlife.
0: Yeah.
1: and it's it's kind of it's their monsoon season, but it doesn't really rain during the day. It's the end of the rainy season, so you get sprinkles at night, but you get supposedly get the most gorgeous sunset and sunrise, thunderhead clouds, mm. um, there, and to to see that with wild animals would just be incredible, you
0: know. Amazing. Oh look! Put my name down for 2024. <laughs> I want to come. I want to come. That sounds so cool. Um, I I could talk to you all friggin' day. Um, I, but I I would be, I, I'd be missing a huge uh a huge opportunity here if I didn't ask you about some business stuff. And I've got some great questions about sure, the business. Sure. And, and that's a big yeah. Your part students of the- have fantastic questions. <laughs> Well, th- it, that's a big part of the podcast too. Is it, It's like, it's the artist, it's the art, you know, the technical stuff, yeah. but also the business side, because there's a whole side to, to making it as a professional artist in this day and age that, you know, a lot of people aren't thinking about, I think more and more, you know, it's, it's on, it's on the radar, but there, there's just so much that goes into this. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, Rowan's got a question here, but, um, He'd be curious, he says, I'd be curious to hear what types of events, clubs, shows, competition, competitions, etc., that you've participated in over the years that have uh, helped you not only become a better artist, but a better networker, rubbing elbows with other great artists. What does it take to build reputation? I just thought that was a fantastic question there from Rowan. And, and just reflecting on that just personally, um, something that I found is that, networking, you know, mingling with other people, uh, whether it's clients, but other artists as well, you never know where that opportunity is going to come from. So making sure that you're always, you know, you're friendly, you're positive, you're helpful. I try to go out of my way to help other people. It's not a manipulation. I just love people. But What uh, go take it away, Michelle. I I think that's such a fantastic question from Rowan. I'd love to hear about you know also some of those strategies that you've had to just be able to make it as a professional. It's tricky today, as well, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and it is a really good question. There's a lot to unpack there, and I really like and agree with what you said. Um, I well, first off, I'll mention you know, there's so many great resources competitions things like that conferences to go to for artists to get their work seen um learn and meet other people and connect i like to say connect instead of network and i'll get into that the differentiation in a minute but um so like portrait society big one you know when i went there for the first time it's like wow it's like your tribe right it's all your like minded people that you know geek out about Edge work and brush work and you know texture and painting and you know talk, that you can talk shop with, and I'm very grateful that I had that in California with Jeremy and a group of other artists, you know, out there, to where we you know could share in that because art can be very solitary in your studio sometimes mm-hmm. when you're pushing to learn and grow, and it's just and I and I had a lot of time where I would just prior to going to California like in my twenties, cause I went out there right before I turned 30, but like in my twenties, it was like me just figuring out stuff on my own, you know, and I had a few other mentors that were older than me, but, you know, had families or had different things going on, even if they were professional artists, but not like the kind of young, hungry artist that wants to talk about it all the time, you know? Mm. And that's what I recognized in Stephanie and just immediately connected with, you know, and stuff. Um, but yeah, so portrait society is a great one um I'd say entering that really like shot my career to a whole new level now I didn't do it for that reason I was actually very naive to what portrait society was it's kind of like the academy awards of portrait painting you know on that level I'm glad I didn't know because I probably wouldn't have entered you know but it was like um I had done this painting and Jeremy was like, you know, you should enter that in portrait society. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, the deadlines coming up, I hadn't entered before and entered and got finalist. And I was like, of course, really grateful and excited. And at that time, I believe it was Gordon Whitmore, who since passed away, called me on the phone and said, you know, I want to congratulate you on, on becoming finalist. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. And he's like, no, no, no you're one of 16 painters out of 4,000 something, something worldwide that we selected. I'm like, Oh my God, thank you. I didn't realize the magnitude of that. Um, I I just had no idea and wasn't really for prepared for, you know, what it would do. I mean, I had like galleries all over the U S calling me to, to show my work after that and, you know, magazines and stuff off of that one painting. And you know, of course I'd had a career before then and was like, I was known in California, but this was pre-social media, pre-like, you know, it, it the outreach wasn't, you had to like physically get in a magazine. Someone had to physically see it on the newsstand for them to like see your work. Now I feel like it's so much easier for artists. And I think social media, I know, like I have a love-hate relationship with it because I'm by nature a private person, but at the same time, I feel a calling to share, to help other artists, you know, as a teacher and a, as an artist. And so I try to be good at it, but I don't post as much as I should just because it's like, you know, but it's, again, it's a tool going back to the, you know, what we talked about it's a great tool that a young artist in another part of the world can post a painting and people will see it from around the world. I mean, that's incredible and just not something that was available to when I was starting out. And so, yeah, Portrait Society did did a lot. And then, you know, getting in, I, I remember... The first magazine I was in, Southwest Art. I think they still do this, the twenty one under thirty one issue. They would pick twenty one artists under thirty one years old to feature, and um, and so that was you know a big moment as well. And I think there are these great conferences. I just did um, a demo at the Plain Air Conference, which focuses more on landscape painting. I did a figure in outdoor light for that. Um, these are great things to go to and connect with people and 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 talk shop. Um, I am not, this would be a little controversial. I don't like to network. I don't put a focus on networking mm-hmm. or business. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird. And I'm not knocking anyone that does because it is an important aspect, right? We need to make a living at our art so we can continue what to do, to do what we love and um, continue to make art. But for me, I always just, I guess a good way to put it, my dad who's an engineer, not an artist. But ever since I was a little girl, he said, whenever you're setting out to do something, because I was always just like, overly ambitious on every anything I tried to do, whether it's academics or artistic or anything. He said, don't look at the things you need to overcome. But think of the end goal. What do you want the end goal to be and figure out how to work your way back from there. And that was I mean, that can be in so many areas in life, right? You know, you just kind of think of, you know, what do I want the end goal to be? And to me, I realized, you know, having had that experience at the Met and seeing those paintings, my goal is for one day for my art to be able to, like my painting to hang next to those paintings in a museum and it wouldn't be like the Sesame Street, which one doesn't belong, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Like it would look like it belongs there. That was always my goal. So to me, I kind of just, you know, really focused on how do I get there? Well, my painting has to be good enough. So, you know, I took a look at my hard look at my work back in the day in my 20s. And I was like, yeah, I feel like, and I I teach this, that every artist has things that come naturally to them. Every artist has areas of weakness that they need to work on. Sometimes we focus so much on what we need to work on. We don't pay attention to the things that come naturally to us. And I think it's very important for us to know that and so that we can intentionally repeat it and build on that. So for me, for example, drawing always came super easy to me, like drawing, composition, color mixing, those things, like I could always mix whatever color I wanted. Um, Drawing, you know, I could always from a young age was, you know, drawing and I remember the first drawing i sold was in seventh grade some i was sketching at lunch and some kid came up and gave me his allowance and said i'd give you my seven dollar allowance for the week if i can have that drawing that i'd work 15 minutes and it was like blew me away that someone would do that um so drawing always came easy to me but edges were like that was like a battle that edges and values were really really hard for me to simplify and focal. so I spent years just focusing on that in my work to bring that up to the level of the other things. And so, I mean, going back to the main question, I always believed so strongly, if my work was good enough, people would notice. And then the whole thing like galleries, networking, career, finances, all of that would take care of itself if the painting was good enough, mm-hmm. right? because if you don't have the product you might get by with advertising but then as soon as there's not quality in the product it's that's like a you know a 15 minute of fame kind of thing right so to me it's like i want my paintings to stand the test of time i want them to always look better in person i want people to really be like fascinated with the technique you know that it, it interests their eye That they feel something because art's supposed to make us feel something, not just dazzle the eyes. Um, And I want, I my hope is that, you know, hundreds of years from now, we'll still have that impact, you know, and I, you know, I'm not there yet. I want to be there. I hope I get there by the time, you know, day I die. Um, And, I mean, I, I had a moment that was like still surreal to me. That was like, kind of like a glimpse of getting close to that dream. When I was, um, a magazine put me in my work in a story about Sargent and Soraya, and then picked a few contemporary artists. And I was like, wow. oh my gosh, it's like a little inkling of it. But again, to me, it's about the quality of the work, you know, yeah. um, I just wanted to stand the test of time. So I believe if your work is good enough, that takes care of your itself and that has been true for me right Mm. the other thing you do have to do is put your work out there and that's hard for some people because sometimes we feel like I'm not going to put out there till it's perfect and what does that mean that's a different definition for everyone I'd say replace perfection with excellence or authentic or this is true to my vision at this point in my life right it may be different I could paint the same painting same subject matter Two years from now, and it might be very different because I might be different and, you know, will be, you know, more involved in different ways in my thinking. Um, So I think not being afraid to put your work out there. And I, I used to, I really struggled with that when I was younger, because being an overachiever and a perfectionist and being very ambitious, I was never happy with anything I did, because in my mind, it always looked better than what I was able to physically do. I've since made peace with, that's just the process of create creation. Your, your vision is always ahead of your ability. And when your ability catches up your vision jumps, and then you, you know, keep going. And that's what keeps working and inspired. Um, Frustrated, And I think you get frustrated until you make peace with the fact that every single other person that is trying to create goes through that. And it's Mm. part of the process. And then, you know, because when you, when you get frustrated you stop learning yeah. and so if you can keep yourself from getting frustrated and make peace with that's just part of the process then you can dive into the learning ask yourself better questions when you're painting figure that out that technique to complete and make your vision kind of concrete on canvas mm. um but yeah there, so I had this this moment that kind of taught me about that when I was like In my mid-20s and i've been invited into my first gallery show in a group show in santa fe and i'm finished this painting but of course just wasn't happy like sometimes i'll be happy with one thing i remember doing a painting of a figure leaning i'm like i like the elbow you know i'm not happy with the rest of it you know sometimes we're so hard on ourselves and i'm having tea with a friend of mine and i'm telling her like i don't know maybe i should do something else i don't have time i don't really want to put this in the show and this older woman was walking by, I think she was, you know, maybe in her seventies or something. And I didn't know her. She just was walking by our table and she kind of put her hand on the table and made a noise and made us jump. And she goes, she looked at me and she said, don't deprive people of the blessing of seeing your work. And then she walked out. Oh, wow.
0: wow. And I
1: was like, I remember that to this day she was like this sage or this angel that came in and just said that you know I put the painting in the show and it sold and you know things and, and and stuff happened in my career from then and so I think um you know another thing just to elaborate on that question sorry I thought there is a lot to unpack in that question oh yeah it's a simple question but it's like complex in its nature so much there you touched on something that I really strongly agree with is it said, you're not interested in networking to like manipulate or get anything, but you're interested in connecting with people. That's exactly how I feel to me. I am fascinated by other people. I want to talk to other people. I want to know their story. I want to understand what makes them tick or how their mind works, their stories, their emotional components of their stories. I love that. That is like Painting is a byproduct of that, my fascination with humanity in that way and individualness and everybody has their, yeah, universal story, but there's those individual things that are just fascinating me. And it's it's like very hard to have a conversation without asking you about all those intricacies about your life and your family life and your painting life too, because I just want to know that about someone. Um, So I think to me, I would not focus... I would advise don't focus on networking, focusing on networking is focusing on what you can get. And that is a very repellent energy, right? If you can focus on connecting with someone, what can we share? And what can I give? That's spiritual. And that, and it's something, it's just in all areas of my life, whether it's teaching art, or even just going to the grocery store to, you know, get something Mo, I try to have that intention in my life as a Christian. How can I serve? What can I give? Right. And a lot of times it's like giving your attention, giving a listening ear, Mm -hmm. giving. And when you do that, it does come back to you and people go, well, then how can I give to you? And how can, you know, I serve you. And, um, but you're not doing it with that intention. You're doing it just as an outpouring so that's where it's like, I know advertising, networking, that kind of stuff has its place, but I choose not to partake in that because mm-hmm. I feel that switches me into like, what can I get? And I never want to operate from that intention of what can I get? Yeah. Even, you know, I even coach people on when they're working with a model, taking photographs or painting a model. Sometimes we get so attached to the painting. We start fussing with the model because we're like, I need to get this. I need to get this right? That does not produce a good painting. The model gets frustrated. They don't feel respected. You can't imbue the painting with the emotion you want to, because you're not getting it from the model. But if you go, wow, this is amazing to paint this human being. This human being is choosing to sit and let me study them and look at them intensely. What a privilege and an honor that is. And we'll never get this moment in time again. And it's just very sacred in that way like how can i show off the beauty of who they are in my painting and how can i connect with them so they they feel they feel how much i'm appreciating them right now when you do that the painting turns out the best because you're not focused on the painting and that's something that i feel like i mean and you're it, it doesn't mean you're not focused on like value shape edge and form right but it's not like, what can I get out of this session? But what can I give out of this session? Awesome. And to me, giving the paint is like, you. sometimes you might give the painting to the model or you're giving it to the gallery or you're giving it and it's okay to get money for your work. We have to make a living. But you are giving that inspiration in a finished painting. Mm-hmm. And switching that mindset to me, that's what I saw in Richard and Nancy, what they do. And it's why they both do such brilliant work, in my opinion and in turn it makes the work valuable and i think if you focus on those things people will want to talk with you they'll want to work with you they'll want to learn from you they'll want to connect and and then the networking happens without you having to go out and strive for it hmm. i hope That's, that makes sense
0: <laughs> oh, mate, that landed for me so much wow absolutely and
1: it's hard to do when you're pinching pennies to like i mean there were there were times in california i did not come from a wealthy family right i have had to earn kind of my way and figure out my career there were times i was rolling change and deciding whether to buy paint or groceries like well i can eat noodles ramen noodles and get the real cadmium paint i mean i had those times so i don't want someone to think I'm coming from a place of privilege, although I feel like everyone born here, we have more privilege than anywhere else in the world. But um, it wasn't, it's not easy to say, what can I give when you have very little to give? Mm -hmm. But I think that means even more when it's like, what can I give with what you have? And everyone has something to give. You know, when when I met Stephanie Page Thompson, I could give her a scholarship to my workshop. So that's what I chose to do. You know, it's like we can always give our attention. We can always give our appreciation. You know, that's yeah. Anyways, I don't mean to go (laughs) off, but it's just that's it's
0: just it's just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Look, I as I said, I could talk to you for hours and hours, Michelle, but this has been such a treat. Could you please let people know out there, where's the best place to connect with you, see more of your work and and even uh, your social media as well?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, my website, Dunaway Fine Art, um, I do need to update my website. <laughs> so um, again, I'm not that great with the techie stuff. Uh, I post most of my stuff on Instagram, which is again, at Dunaway Fine Art. Um, I do have a Facebook that's just Michelle Dunaway, um, where I do post some stuff, but I really post the majority of everything to Instagram, um, first and foremost. So awesome. that's the best place to see my work. And,
0: awesome. um, oh, Michelle, it's been amazing a... talking with you. I oh, want it's... to pick your brain about so many
1: things <laughs> as well.
0: Oh, it's been
1: philosophical. Cause... We're
0: going to have to do a part two. It's just, it's just a given we're going to have know, to do a part two. I'm there. I'm there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the Creative Endeavor podcast.
1: Thank you. And I just want to take a moment to thank you for for all you do and putting these podcasts out there and putting out, you know, online inspiration and teaching because you know the world really needs it. And we became so aware during the pandemic how much that you know we needed. But I think that woke us up to a need that was existent before that. It just gave us permission to um recognize that need. You know to connect with other artists around the world and so i think you know bravo to you for doing what you're doing and and um, i wish you such uh you know joy and inspiration as you do
0: it so oh thank you Well, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Endeavor Podcast. A huge shout out and thank you to Michelle for joining me. You can find her on her website at www.DunawayFineArt.com and on Instagram at Dunaway Fine Art. Make sure you're following her right now. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you get something out of it? Are you inspired? Are you pumped up like I am? I really hope so. It's my intention to bring you as many of these episodes as possible to really make an impact on you and your career. And I couldn't do this without you. So I really thank you for taking that time to leave me a rating or a review on whatever audio platform you're listening on. Also, let me know what you think of the show. And if you really enjoyed it, then share this with others on your social media. It makes a huge difference to the reach of the show. And I thank you so much for that. All right, I'm going to get out of here and get back to painting. Huge shout out and thank you to Michelle once again. I'll see you in another episode of The Creative Endeavor.